What's up, everyone? It's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, um, wow. <laughs> Just wow. What a weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about like the running of this season that is, it feels, I don't know. It feels like amped up for some reason, like despite the lack of fans, the intensity of some of these like title races and just like all of these, I don't know, kind of like historical events and things that are happening for the first time ever, the first time in, you know, a hundred years or whatever. It just seems like, it yeah. seems like the intensity of everything is just at, its peak right now it's at its peak and it's not there's no like time to take it in you know what i mean like there's like there's something like huge going on every day it feels like and actually (laughs) fans are being introduced slowly in in some of these games that we'll talk about today which is very nice a nice uh development from this weekend so but yeah Yeah. no it's just the most yeah times Yeah, it's been, (laughs) and like you said, yeah, there's just absolutely no room to breathe. Like there's no, I mean, we've talked about it since we started this podcast, basically like in this absurd year that there's, there's just no space for any of these moments to actually be a moment. They're part of this just like (laughs) fucked up conglomerate of just like a mound of events that are happening constantly. Um, Yeah. Exactly. But before we get into, I mean, we've got some breaking news to talk. We've got some like quick shout outs at the beginning, but we're going to be talking title races, trophies, promotion races like we talked last week. And we're going to be answering some of your listener questions. But before we get into all that, um, just a a shout out to those who are finding the podcast for the first time. Um, If you did uh, find it through our Twitter at HXC football, um, go ahead and drop a follow over there. Um, and you can subscribe to the podcast on, on any of the major platforms and we'll post the links, uh, to all the platforms with every episode. Um, so check for that in the reply, um, for the, the pod link, and it'll take you to a aggregator that has all, all the platforms there, um, easily accessible where you can, you can get to them, but, um, yeah, check us out and hopefully you enjoy the rest of this ride. Mika, it begins I mean, the biggest trophy won this weekend, I think it's safe to say, was the Women's Champions League, Barcelona defeating Chelsea in a resounding fashion um, and quite surprising fashion, too. But this Barcelona team ends a season of utter dominance, uh, not only top of La Liga, but uh, top of top of the the women's game in Europe. Yeah, yeah. With Barca Femini's uh, Champions League win over Chelsea, FC Barcelona as a club becomes the first club in football to win both the men's and the women's Champions League. So it's just a huge victory for not only the ladies, but also just the institution that is FC Barcelona. And it's something I think that, you know, is certainly a positive for the club, given everything that, you know, all the turmoil they've been through, especially on the men's side, but also just as a, as an institution, all the financial woes and all that um, you know, brought on by some by COVID and some by just themselves. So <laughs> it's nice that at least one part of the squad can end with or, or one part of the club can end with a trophy and the biggest trophy of all, as you said, um, they I, I, look, I'm not I'm 
not a women's football expert, and I probably should get up to speed on it. Shame on me. But I was expecting to see a bit closer of a match because Chelsea are a star-studded side in their own right. Uh, but sure. they just could not cope with them. Um, and 4-0 at the end of the day, it's just incredible uh, when you see some of the players that Chelsea have at their disposal to not even score a goal. Um, speaks a lot to the the quality of Barca Femini. So huge congratulations to them. Uh, much deserved. I one of the one of the things that struck me about this was that at the end of the match, um, Barcelona had worn their alternate like pinks and greens uh, because Chelsea was wearing their blues and. At the trophy presentation, all of the Barcelona players uh, like changed or put like the Blaugrana over their shirts, which I thought was really cool. Like to have that trophy presentation be like, there's no mistaking who this is. Like this is FC Barcelona. Yeah, that's actually a really good like point out there because yeah, I mean they like you said they were in the alternates. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to kick Chelsea while they're down, but I don't know that you can win a trophy in that kit that they were wearing. <laughs> like it's just an <laughs> abomination. So, but yeah, no, you're right. Like you, you, there's no mistaking this is a, a Blaugrana victory, and um, yeah, that that probably makes for really uh, interesting memories in the pictures. So tough, uh, a tough result for Chelsea, and now staring down the barrel of another Champions League final on the men's side. Um, pressure's on. Yeah. I mean, the last thing that they want to do is have a hat trick of final losses. Cause we'll get on to the other Chelsea just had a nightmare of a, of a, of a weekend. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would say pressure is on cause they, they, they made history in their own right too, of having both their men's and women's sides in their respective champions league finals in the same season but uh yeah it's up to the men now to kind of bring glory to the blues that'll be the trivia the the trivia question you don't want to be on the end of like who's the only club <laughs> to lose two champions league finals in in one season um right not not the sort of thing that you want to be involved with um uh, so yeah the men now have to deliver um Speaking speaking of the men's game, uh, selfishly, and I know you you popped this in the outline, and I appreciate it. But <laughs> I had uh, to do it. My my the team I follow in Germany, uh, Dynamo Dresden, confirmed their promotion uh, back to the Zweite Bundesliga. Um, we talked about the promotion race at the top of the Zweite Bundesliga, but now Dinamo back into that league at the uh, first time of asking after a, a tough uh, COVID adjacent relegation um, mm, last right. season in, in the Zweite Bundesliga. Yeah. Congratulations to, to Dinamo. I always, always like to see Eastern German sides on the come up Um and certainly the fans made it known that they were happy about it too. Kind of some ugly scenes to be fair in Dresden. Um, But uh, you know, fans have been cooped up for over a year and I I think it was probably uh, natural that they would get together like that and uh, celebrate. But um, yeah. What is the expectation Phil for the Zweite Bundesliga campaign next season? Is it just survival or a mid table finish? Something more than that? It's, uh, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's, it's survival. 
um, and making sure they solidify themselves back at that level. I think, I think prior to COVID, uh, they were a pretty established, like Zweite Bundesliga side. So I, I'm struggling a little bit to, I, I think like with, with the circumstances surrounding the relegation, I think many people around Dinamo are probably saying like, let's just go ahead and pretend that didn't happen. Um, well, if no one was there to see it in the exactly. stands, right? did it really happen? <laughs> <laughs> like if a tree falls in the woods. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I think Dinamo's target is certainly going to be, is certainly going to be staying up. Um, but it'll be interesting. They so they brought in a new sporting director when they were originally when they were originally relegated, um, and then just a couple of games ago to arrest a, a winless streak that they were on, they actually fired their manager, uh, which is crazy to say. Like looking at a team that's top of their league, um, but there is a new a new coach in town, Alexander Schmidt. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles a full season with a full off season. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's not out of the question in Germany to go from being a newly promoted side to being up towards the, the top of the table at the next level. So I think it just matters how, um, how this Dinamo team does business, but they were, they were quality in, in a season that was tough to provide it in. So um, full credit to to them for seeing it out despite a couple more COVID issues towards the end of this season as well um, with a kind of an outbreak in the camp and going into right. a quarantine where they weren't allowed to train and um, and that was where that that winless streak uh, really hit was um, yeah they weren't able to <laughs> to train normally. So there were, they were coming out. I think, uh, they came out of quarantine one day before one of their games and then played another game two days later. Um, so they hadn't trained at all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's a really strange situation, but Dinamo get the job done ultimately and, and are back at a level that suits them. I think given the stature of the club and, it'll be great to see the fans back and able to express themselves in maybe healthier ways um, in, in the stands with TIFOs and whatnot. Right. Not like riots and yeah. Fire and Mm -hmm. other stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Huge, huge achievement to come right back up. That's harder than I think we give it credit sometimes. So yeah, especially in a COVID season. My goodness. As Hausvau is has found out now, you know, for oh multiple God. seasons in a row. But <laughs> <laughs> um, we had spoken when when Rangers confirmed that they won the Scottish League, bouncing over to to the British Isles again. Um, when Rangers confirmed they won the league, we spoke about it as a, a, a big achievement for Steven Gerrard. Now the season is over and they finish invincible 32 wins, six draws, no losses, 92 goals for 13 against, um, just a ridiculous season from, from Stevie G and this, this Rangers team domestically. Yeah. uh, I mean, absolutely outrageous. No losses, 102 points. Um, (laughs) I think, 
second best Celtic ended with like 77 points. So, I yeah. mean, that, that spread is, is just unreal. Yeah. Um, obviously, big congratulations to them that they not only win the league, but go invincible. Um, I guess what I'm kind of struggling with, and I suppose it doesn't really matter, especially if you're a Rangers fan, but is that an indictment of the Scottish Premiership or is that evidence of Stevie G's magic or is it somewhere <laughs> in between? Because, like, that's nuts. I I mean I do think that that Rangers benefited from a weaker Celtic um than than there is traditionally. Right. Um I think Scotland too as as a rule like I I know we've there's been probably a little I don't know lack of lack of competition up and down um yeah. So it it's tough to say like how big of an achievement this is, but I think the fact that it's still been rare throughout this, you know, that like it's not like the champion is is finishing invincible every season. Um Right. So, yeah, I think the the magnitude of not being beaten over the course of 38 games particularly this season is is not to be that's diminished that but yeah. but rangers were far and away i mean obviously they allowed 13 goals like the entire season 38 games they they only allowed 13 goals so yeah i mean there is a level that of is. they were definitely i mean not just a cut above but they were you know obviously levels above the the competition but um it did take, you know, it took Stevie a couple of seasons to get going with this Rangers team to this degree. And, um, True. yeah, to blow Celtic away like that. I mean, Rangers fans, obviously similarly to, to Dinamo fans, as some pointed out, uh, reacting, not maybe in the most positive, uh, way to the confirmation <laughs> of their invincibility, but, um, yeah, but this season being, uh, you know, separated from their team, um, struggling to find an outlet for uh, what is obviously a joyous occasion for, for Rangers fans. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you make a great point about invincibility in, in a COVID season. That's true. That's, that's, it's incredible regardless, but yeah, given all the challenges, especially with Scotland having one of the like stricter lockdowns and, and all that, I, that is an achievement in and of itself. Definitely. The, Seemingly annual transfer saga of one Harold Kane uh, of Tottenham Hotspur. Not Harold. <laughs> <laughs> Is that oh not his full name? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. <laughs> That's that. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't done my research. We'll get our. We'll get our research assistant on Harry <laughs> Kane's intern. full full. Christian name, but, um, <laughs> no, Harry, Harry Kane has now reportedly told Tottenham that he wants out. There was all kinds of speculation throughout the season about whether he would, uh, want to leave unless they won a trophy. And obviously the, the, uh, Carabao cup was the, the shot they had at it. Um, in this season, they didn't, they didn't achieve that. And now Harry Kane looking to the exit door reportedly not the first time we've heard this to be fair um, over his career at Spurs, but this seems maybe the most, um, 
like solid that it seemed maybe maybe the least rumor um that we've seen yeah i mean it does feel a little bit different this time around just given the fact that i mean they hire Mourinho and they still don't get what Mourinho purportedly promises which is trophies um it yeah. ends in in disaster as it so often does these days um and plus i mean maybe a minor storyline here but be, imagine being Harry Kane and watching Leicester City lift the FA Cup, a club that you were loaned to, uh, yeah. you know, in the past. I mean, on the other hand, though, if I'm if I'm Daniel Levy and and Harry Kane or his agent, his agent being his brother, actually, if I'm not mistaken, come to my office and say Harry wants a transfer, <laughs> um, you signed a, a multi deal and you've got three years left on that deal, yeah, um, and you know he's not in a good bargaining position given his contract and given COVID. I mean, Daniel Levy's going to want an outrageous fee for him. Uh, I mean, yeah. COVID or not, he's one of the best strikers in the world. If not the best striker in the world, he's in amazing form. Um, you know, kind of in spite of Tottenham as a club in general, as a team. Right. Uh, and he's in his prime. He's what? 27. So 27. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Daniel Levy's in the driver's seat here, as far as I'm concerned, and so yeah, Harry Kane can say he wants out all he wants, but uh, unless he, you know, kicks up a fuss, I don't know that he gets that move, and I don't know that he even does that. I don't know that he's that kind of character, and obviously he's been very loyal to Tottenham over the years, um, having not really won anything other than like golden boots and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. We'll have to see what happens, but I, I for one, would be shocked if he actually gets a move this summer. Um, I mean, the flip side of that, too, is, like, who can afford him? I mean, who do you see him, like, realistically going to if Spurs were willing to part with him? It's it's really tough because the team that he was most commonly linked to in the past was Real Madrid. And Madrid have very recently been burned by a big money transfer at around this age from a British club. <laughs> so <laughs> the idea weird. that they would go splash the cash on a guy who's turning 28, like, I don't know. And is injury prone. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. We know like, those ankles are a problem. Yeah. His availability is, is not guaranteed. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think in terms of financial resources to finance this transfer, there's maybe five clubs that can do it. And it's Madrid. Well, in a normal season, I would say Barcelona, but definitely not now. They have no money. Um, City. Not much better off either. But yeah, I take your point. In a normal season, maybe. Yeah. City, United, Bayern, and Juve. Chelsea. And Chelsea. Yeah. Well, and that's the other kind of wrinkle and PSG, I guess, but PSG, PSG, but PSG would never buy him. Like, you don't think so. I don't, I don't think he fits. I don't think he fits the, the brand. Interesting. Interesting. I think PSG would actually be a shout only because, well, I guess for a couple of reasons, one, they can afford him Two, they are looking to get rid of Mario Cardi. I don't think it's worked out. I think they need a legitimate number nine because neither Mbappe or Neymar are that obviously, 
Um, Moise Kane obviously had a good season, but he's not probably going to lead the line for a team looking to win the Champions League. But, I mean, we know Harry Kane can do that and can adapt to the game to play with other stars. So I think sure. PSG's kind of a shout. But would would Harry want that move? I don't know. That was the other wrinkle to the story is that he wants to move in the Premier League, allegedly. Yeah. So for me, that's got to be like, one of Chelsea, United, or City. City, I don't yeah. know. City have a lot of money, but they're not dumb. Like, they don't buy stars for the sake of it. Um, yeah. And actually, I think he could play, like, really well on a Pep Guardiola side, to be fair. But they don't buy, you know, injury-prone stars just because. They no. don't need the clout, honestly. Um right. United, I don't know. They've got a lot of attackers up there. I don't know that they, I don't know that they make that move. Chelsea, maybe. Chelsea, Chelsea's interesting because I think if they go out and spend the money on Harry Kane there, and I know this is going to sound stupid given the amount of evidence that we have, but like, you're kind of admitting defeat, like with the Timo Werner signing, which like, maybe it's time, but Mm. that's a big investment to just say like, yeah, all right. Like he's basically done. Like, uh, not not that he would be done by, you know, he could play in theory with like in a side that had Harry Kane in it, but um, I don't well, know. Or they to go could, splash they could the market cash it like he's a replacement for Giroud and Tammy Abraham, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like after spending all that money on Werner, it doesn't, it's yeah. not a cute look. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> but they also have... if you can sign Kane, like you probably right. do, that's, we know Chelsea we know Chelsea are that kind of club where like they may not need that player, but if they can do it and get, get that player in over their rivals, they will. And that's what they did with, with, with Werner, with Havertz, not necessarily having a plan for those players, but just knowing that they can nick them off others. (laughs) Zero sum game. If we have Werner and Havertz, it means Klopp or Guardiola or whoever doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, well, wherever Harry Kane ends up, this Chelsea shout, it does it did look in the FA Cup final like Chelsea could have used a Harry Kane. Um yeah. Leicester City, the Foxes, get the job done. Brendan Rogers, uh, off the back of a Yuri Tillman's wonder goal, uh lift the FA Cup and uh an unbelievable achievement for this Leicester side uh, who in the celebrations of it as well um, celebrating, you know, the law, the loss or celebrating like the gain, I guess of, of the silverware for their, you know, beloved owner, which they lost just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, we all, any, anyone listening to this probably is aware of Vishai, Srinad Vanat Prava. Did I say that right? Hopefully. I yep. don't know. We'll, we'll I mean, see Vishai. Yeah, that was <laughs> um, that was on point, I think. <laughs> I try. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he tragically lost his life in that helicopter accident right outside of the King Power Stadium. And um, I'm just so envious of Leicester City and just how they're run and how their owners, while being billionaires actually like give a shit about the club and the community. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's obviously a special bond there, like seeing, um, Iowa, like being embraced by Castro Michael and stuff like on the pitch and in tears at final, you know, at, at full time. Yeah. Uh, just knowing what it means to Lester, the players, the owners, the community, 
Lester too, and uh, Leicestershire was hard hit by COVID. So I mean, there's they've been through it <laughs> that yeah. community, uh, and it was nice that that they won. I obviously I think everyone who isn't a Chelsea fan was probably pulling for Leicester City because <laughs> that, that was certainly the more romantic option, shall sure. we say? But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just Leicester City are just like the ideal club in a lot of ways yeah. from the ownership down. Um, and I'm, I'm just so pleased for them and pleased for the fact that they got to have a smattering of their fans there, 20,000 people at Wembley. Incredible. Like yeah. it just felt normal. You know what I mean? And right. there was no fake crowd noise. It's all real. Like listening to people react to like innocuous throw-ins and fouls. Like yeah. it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. And, and it was nice that they got to share that with fans in the stadium at Wembley. So, and never, and, uh, what a strike. Too, oh my by, by oh my god like, never has twenty thousand people sounded like a hundred thousand like like truly it sounded <laughs> like a million people were in there maybe we're just like not used to it anymore yeah. but oh my goodness it was amazing that tillman's hit was very like i mean in terms of fa cup final goals there's a handful maybe that come to mind like steven gerrard's equalizer against west ham in 05 um like that level of strike um just like absolutely world-class from Tillemans and to mark an occasion like this for Lester it's not just it's not just about the goal necessarily for Tillemans but the goal certainly put the icing on on a wonderful wonderful performance um from a player who's grown into that role as Lester's kind of main man in midfield yeah, I mean, for me, Yuri Tillemans was man of the match. Even before the strike, he was making things happen for Leicester um, whenever they would get on the ball, which actually wasn't that much. I mean, they let Mm-mm. Chelsea dominate the ball. Um, but he was the one, you know, putting Vardy in behind, pinging balls over the top, super accurate with them. And the, the kid is only 24 years old. I mean, he's he's got so many years ahead of him to just continue to to improve and and, uh, you know, be a world-class player, which I certainly think he's on track to being one if he's not one already. Um, and it's interesting because he's thriving in in the Premier League when he really didn't do so well at Monaco and Ligue 1. So just, right. it just shows, like, what a change of scenery and what the right environment can do for a player. Because I think from age 16 when he made his debut at Andalash, like, everyone knew he was special. Yeah. Um, but he really didn't get to show that, I don't think, too much in France. So it's it's a great fit for him at Leicester City. And he scores the lone goal, and it, it was some goal. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that. I mean, a poor pass from Reese James, to be fair. Uh, right out to Tayose Perez, who was, I mean, running his socks off, to be fair, pressing and... And, and then putting the Chelsea defense under pressure the whole game. But yeah, I mean, he just finds the space and hits it. And that, and that was the, you kind of felt the game was going to be won in that way. Cause it just, it just felt like it needed something special. Um, Cause it was, yeah, it was just one of those, those kinds of games where you felt like someone had to do something kind of individualistic and, and he comes up with it. Um, to be fair though, talking of individuals, I thought Casper Michael was, fantastic couple yeah. crucial saves including one on Ben Chilwell I think he was actually a former Leicester man um so yeah just a great day for Leicester but yeah I feel like we have to rag on Chelsea a little bit though because Thomas Tuchel's selection yeah thoughts. yeah so I 
I guess the thing that struck me most, um, well, I mean, he goes with Keppa in goal, which is which is brave enough uh, to start, um, given True. given the amount of criticism that that Keppa's come in for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you can look at their bench and ask quite a few questions. Um, I think Chilwell is probably the the biggest question mark of why would you leave a former Leicester player on the bench in an FA cup final against his former team. Like not to say he's got a chip on his shoulder against Leicester, but that that is an occasion that a player will remember forever. Um, well, and he's also just objectively a better player than Marcus Alonso like, by a lot by like, I, I don't understand. And I don't want to hear he's saving them for the champions league. It's a cup final. Like yeah. it's still a trophy. You play your best team. Yeah. Um, um yeah. yeah, and I think I think question questions could be asked too of of going you know with Ziek Werner Mount like you could certainly you could certainly say that uh, that either well not that Callum Hudson Adoy has been like lighting the world on fire recently or anything like that but um, you could certainly make an argument uh, <laughs> for even I know he probably I I think. I think the Werner selection is almost enforced because Giroud, if we're if we're being fair to Olivier, he is at his absolute best when he's coming off the bench. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I would mean, almost back fair. him to score in the final, like if he's coming off the bench. Um, but no, it was it was a strange selection, just given the fact that you have the likes of of you know Christian Pulisic, um, Callum Hudson Odoi. Kai Havertz who, and who have all been in decent form. Um, but none of them got in ahead of Ziek and, and Mason Mount, which, um, you know, Mount almost scores right at the end. Another that was one of the, the brilliant saves from, from Schmeichel. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was their strongest team, um, which is wild to say. I don't know if there's a little bit of, I don't know if this is like gamesmanship from Tuchel or like, are they actually chasing top four more than they're chasing or more than they wanted the FA cup? I don't, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, leaving, leaving Chilwell on the bench is, is pretty much criminal in this, in this occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree. I mean, you know, to be fair, Tuchel's done a lot right with this Chelsea side. It's not, you know, this is not to say that he's a shit manager or anything far from it. But right. I mean, it is in these situations where you have to win. I mean, it's a trophy, you know, um, and and against a, a, a team that many thought were inferior to Chelsea. And I mean, it's certainly in terms of the outlay they are, but uh yeah, just the shocking decisions. I think yeah. I I would have. I mean, I would have played for sure Chilwell, but um, I think you should have. He should have found a place for Hobbits, um, whether that was out wide or I mean, you, I think Mount. You can't really take him out, but a, a place for Hobbits or Pulisic mm-hmm. uh, would have been nice. And I mean, Chilwell when he came on, he was immediately making an impact, so it just looked even worse. Like right. in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, hey. Chelsea, Chelsea kind of don't do well in FA Cup finals in recent years anyway. So, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Denied by a, a late uh, VAR decision as well. I mean, 
Yeah. Rightfully so. But 2021, uh, you know, intent on on the marginal decision being uh, <laughs> being a mainstay of of <laughs> uh, of the game. And um, yeah, Lester, Lester survive by the, the skin of their teeth. Uh, Chilwell nearly, nearly bagging the equalizer right at the end. But um, but it is the trophy headed to Lester and and. In terms of eras, um, I mean, a 2015 Premier League and a 2021 FA Cup trophy, that's that's a pretty good return for, like, a team of the stature of Leicester. Yeah, and probably going to be in, going into their second, you know, Champions League foray uh, in those years. So, hashtag dynasty. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> Leicester obviously have, have, have done really well. Um, yeah. And... I mean, there's shouts for them to be part of the, quote, big six at the expense of one of them. I don't know. Uh, I think that takes a, I think that takes a little bit more time. But, uh, yeah, they've they've certainly done very well. Yeah. And shout out to Brendan Rogers for for getting a getting a trophy as well. Um, yeah. He's been memed pretty frequently for these like late season collapses. But, you know, in the biggest game that he's been in in charge of for Leicester, they they got it done so uh, yeah. maybe turning the corner a little bit in that in that respect yeah yeah the thing with Rodgers I think is he's always I think with Liverpool maybe even sometimes with Celtic he's not let his work kind of speak for itself <laughs> and yeah. he's come out with like bizarre bizarre quotes and things like that but it seems like at Leicester he's learned a lot about like just managing himself i guess and, and not just the team so sure it's it's a big achievement for him on to the title races oh and God. the leagues and i liga <laughs> as much as fuck it possible to the last day <laughs> <laughs> good to the last drop uh <laughs> <laughs> La Liga uh served up an absolute gem of a weekend in just the absolute chaos that they created. Um and the the focus obviously was on Atletico Madrid uh hosting Osasuna at the Wanda Metropolitano. Atleti 75th minute Ante Budimir scores for Osasuna and looks to have sunk at Letty's hopes in La Liga. Real Madrid, as it stood, were heading top of the table. And then 82nd they minute. They were top of the table. Yeah, they were. Live absolute. table. Yeah. <laughs> 82nd minute, Renan Lodi scores for Atleti to equalize and bring Atleti back from the brink. And then who else but Luisito seals the win in the 88th minute. So two goals in the final 10 minutes to drag it out of the fire for Atletico Madrid against relegation threatened Osasuna. Um, and uh, yeah, just unbelievable, unbelievable um, how, how this Atletico Madrid side just found a way to stay in this title race. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I said before the match at home to Osasuna, this is a game that champions have to win and they ended up doing it. Um, when they went that one goal down, it was just so cruel because that, I think that was Osasuna's first shot on target. And actually, Oblak gets a hand to it, but it's like crossed the line <laughs> just yeah. just barely. Uh, so the, the goal does count. But 
I mean, we have to put context on this, though, because Atleti were dominating. Like, yes. this wasn't, like, a boring, like, attritional Atleti. I mean, they have tried to be more positive with the ball this season and, and, and possess the ball a little bit more. They've bought it, players that are a bit more skilled. And they were dominating this. They had 26 shots, nine of them on target. Six shots by Luis Suarez alone. He misses that sitter at the near post. Yeah. Hits the post. I mean, Angel Correa had a, a point-blank effort. Saul like shot from outside the box and hit the post. So they were dominating. I mean, it's not to say that they weren't, you know, trying or, or sitting back or anything. And Osasuna were, I mean, Sergio Herrera had to make a bunch of pretty good saves. Um, but yeah, that was like a gut punch. I, I don't even support Atleti. And I was like sick when that goal went in, <laughs> when the VAR said it was in. Um, but yeah, like you said, Renan Lodi gets the equalizer. And actually the, the fascinating thing about this for me is, it's from a uh, Joao Felix ball over the top to Renan Lodi, who had just let Budimir by with some really bad defending. Uh, so both the substitutes combined for the uh, for the equalizer. Um, and these are two players who've been like criticized this season by Atleti fans and, and Spanish football fans in general. Um, Joao Felix, both for kind of his languid style of play and kind of seeming like he doesn't care and turning it on when he wants to. And, and Luran Lodi just for his like defensive frailties and, mm-hmm. and Atleti side that, you know, is supposed to be well drilled in that area of the game. So it was nice to see those two players combine. And then of course, I mean, Luis Suarez, like he comes up with the goods. Finally, it's a nice pass from Yannick Carrasco to be fair. So yeah. um, after missing so many chances, Luis comes up with, with the winner, and um, you could hear the fans kind of on the on TV from outside the stadium cheering, and it's a little bit like delayed because they don't see like live the right. goal going in, but like you can hear it in the background, and yeah, I mean they're still in control in La Liga um, despite Real winning at uh, Athletic Club, so. I, I just hope that they can do it because this is just painful. Honestly, I can't even imagine how Atleti fans feel. This is this feels like the sort of moment that you remember in terms of the title run, where they may just you know, and hopefully they do for for their sake and their fans' sake. Um, they may just take care of business on the final day. Um, and it might not be the intensity, you know, I think we've seen it in previous years, like, uh, what was it? 20, I guess, 18, 19, um, premier league where it went to the final day. Um, and Liverpool like took the lead against, I think it was wolves. Um, and, uh, city were playing someone, lower down and went behind um, early on. I want to say it was like Cardiff or something like that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then ended up just like walking it. Yo, know, they came back and it at the game ended like four or five, one or something like that. And it was a complete non-issue. So no one really remembers, like no one will think back to that. Everyone right. will remember like Vincent company scoring that like absurd goal from 30 yards um, against Leicester. Like kept screaming at him not to shoot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's what people will remember. So like, I think in this title race, hopefully this moment of Luis Suarez, like sealing, sealing victory and just like the raw emotion of this Atleti side, like everybody dogpiling down in the corner, like just a complete mass of, of humanity, like from, from Atleti. I, you know, hopefully this is the moment that people look at and say like, that was when, Atleti won the title. Um, 
you know, in, so. in practice, but they do have a final game to, to see out. And it's because as you said, Barcelona or sorry, Real Madrid, uh, get that win against athletic club, Nacho, actually the goal scorer in that one. And, not a classic two two no. shots on target for real one shot on target for athletic club um and uh this and real madrid too is like bungled over the line like yeah. it goes off nacho's <laughs> knee so so yeah i mean this really is all about denying this real madrid side the title because it would just be so tragic for a team that has I mean, and I don't mean to be like overly critical of Real Madrid who are close to the top of the league, but they just have gone about it in such a way that it's been so labored and so just like reliant on certain players um, that it just doesn't, they don't feel like league winners. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I think this is the worst side, this worst Real Madrid side in years, to be fair. I mean, They've had a lot of injuries, so I think it says something that they're still in it despite all of that. Um, you know, Real Madrid being one of those sides that just seemed to find a way like they did last night against Athletic Bilbao. I mean, that that game was just awful, like in comparison to Atleti Osasuna. Um, and, and they find a way uh, with, with, like I said, Nacho bundling it in and off his knee. So, um, but yeah, it would just feel wrong for them to win it. Um, and do Atleti go to Valladolid? Is that right? Yes, and okay. <laughs> a Valladolid side who need a result to avoid relegation. Yeah, they need a result <laughs> to stay in the league. And I'm wondering if a certain owner, Ronaldo Nosario, is going to go into the locker room and give them the extra motivation because <laughs> obviously he is a you know, Real Madrid icon. Yeah. So just interesting little narrative there. But, I mean, you would think Atleti should take care of business, but there's been a lot of like things that we think should happen that don't. Um, and so we'll see. Barcelona's title race ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. Um, Barcelona defeated two one by Celta Vigo and uh, things were looking good for Barca when Messi opened the scoring in the 28th minute. Um, but Santi Mina, of all people, uh, firing a, a pretty quick fire double in for for Celta, and uh, yeah, dooming this this Barcelona side um, in terms of in terms of their title hopes. Uh, you know, Longley was sent off late on, which you know didn't have a huge. I guess it had a maybe a little impact on Barca's ability to fight back, but um, this was kind of. The, it felt fitting how Barcelona's title challenge ended in this season where they've been extremely reliant on Lionel Messi, who's, who does score the opener, um, but the rest of the team just isn't consistently functional. Yeah, I mean, Lionel Messi scores 30 goals, so what what happens to Barcelona without those 30 goals? I mean, wow. uh, I don't know. I struggle. I struggle to understand who, who's going to replicate that. Obviously. I mean, no one's rec- replicating Messi, but right. I mean, he definitely used to have a better supporting cast around him than this current Barca side. Um, 
Yeah, I think this is the first time in like several years that Barcelona are actually going to finish not only not as champions, but outside the top two. So it's just been a shambles uh, for them in the league. Obviously, they, they have that Copa del Rey, so that's nice, but embarrassed in Champions League and, and you know, pipped to the title by both the Madrid sides still still vying for it on the last day. is just not a good look for, for FC Barcelona, and they'll definitely have to go back to the drawing board in the summer. And figure out if Messi's even staying um, and what Ronald Koeman's future is and what they're going to do with all these youngsters and what they're going to do about their financial problems. Like, the, yeah. and if, are they going to withdraw from the Super League? Like, or, or are they not? Like, there's just so much <laughs> going on there that uh, I, I don't envy those in, in, in charge there that need to sort it all out. So the, at the other end of the La Liga table, the first team, to be relegated was confirmed this weekend. That's right. The first team confirmed to be relegated with, <laughs> with a one, ga- game, one game left. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor, poor a bar um, find themselves back in the Segunda after an eight year stay in La Liga. And I mean, for the disappointment, obviously of this relegation for this club, Abar really is that like model team of they they were punching well above their weight and the fact that they spent eight years in La Liga is absolutely a massive achievement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was that one season that they stayed up because Elche were relegated for failing to pay taxes. Oh, but either right. way, <laughs> they were. <laughs> either way, they still managed to stay up on their own merit in a lot of those seasons, finishing you know comfortably mid table in some of those seasons. And I mean, Abar have nothing to be ashamed of because they are truly, truly run on a shoestring budget. They're owned by fans. Um, they have, I think, about eight thousand shareholders from forty eight different countries. So. Um, they represent a tiny town with less than 30,000 people, uh, in the Basque country. And so, I mean, there's just so much to like about this club. And, um, I think that, uh, they'll be back for sure. Um, they're, they're a talented club. If they could keep a lot of the the good players that they do have, uh, I think they'll, they'll be back sooner than we know it, but yeah, it's, it's a shame. Um, but I still think that they have so much to be proud of given that they, they had no right to be (laughs) battling with these huge, huge Spanish sides. Um, and you know, on the end of the day, they get smacked by Valencia who have had troubles of their own, but right. I mean, that's how it goes. Yeah. And Valencia, Valencia's performance kind of defined by the fact that they had two very, very quality players, Gonzalo Geddes and, and Carlos Soler, their goal scorers, um, on four of five shots on target, uh, <laughs> to get four goals. So, uh, yeah, some very, very quality players, uh, showing their, you know, being at their absolute best in terms of, in terms of finishing and a bar, unfortunately at the other end, couldn't convert actually hosts of chances that they created for themselves, uh, couldn't, couldn't convert on the day and, and, uh, unfortunately relegated back down. But, um, in in La Liga, uh, there the other two relegation places are still technically up for grabs. Um, so the only up teams for grabs like people who like want it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant, but it yeah, sounded yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, I guess there's still to be to be determined. Um, so right. Valladolid are in the most trouble 
and they mm-hmm. they do face Atleti on the final day who are trying to, you know, win the title. Um, they have to win. Um, and they need Elche and Huesca to not <laughs> to not get any sort of result like in their final game. Elche facing Athletic Club and uh and Huesca uh facing Valencia. So Valencia could be the wow. the Grim Reaper of of La Liga and relegate multiple teams back to back weekends. The Grim Reaper and the Kingmaker too, right? That's mm. how that would work. <laughs> no, the uh I think like if they beat No, never mind. Sorry, I was thinking something else. No, because my yeah. they're playing Atleti, so Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, it was uh <laughs> who was the Kingmaker at the end of the day is actually Levante. Uh, that's well, which yeah, we decided we know, last obviously. week. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no. Um, well, I mean, I also said that Osasuna was relegation threatened and they're 11th. So um, that's my bad. Well, but but like mathematically, they probably are. Like yesterday, <laughs> guys, let's just put this into perspective about La Liga. All 20 teams played yesterday and not a single one of those matches was a dead rubber. Like there was something to yeah. play for. So yeah. like if you say anyone from like 11th down is like relegation threat and it was probably accurate at some point this season. Yeah. So, I mean, just madness uh, all the way up and down the Spanish table. By the um, way, shout out Betis back yep. in Europe. Yep. Europa League secured. So anyway, <laughs> that's uh yeah, no, that's that is great news uh, for Betico's and and um, it's worth mentioning that across town Sevilla decided just to not put up any sort of fight <laughs> and yeah. got absolutely smacked. Um, By Villarreal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's when I am terrorism right there. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we head into the final day. Hying the most Liga, so hying all the Liga. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be amazing to to watch as those results pour in, and God only knows what'll happen on the final day. Um, hopefully, just, if Atleti screw this up, I will be sick. Like I'm so <laughs> invested now, man. I don't know how you feel, but I ugh. I'm now that it's now that it is, you know, confirmed Atleti Real then. It's it's got to be you. You have to to root for for Atleti. If you're not yeah. a hardcore Madridista, like you have to. Um, right. And yeah, it would be oh, it would be so horrifying. Like if this if this Madrid side pulls it out on the final day. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to stand that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure Atletico will find a way to make it interesting uh, at on the way to doing it. Um, it right. kind of has like going into this final day. It kind of has the vibe of the 2012 Premier League a little bit where oh, Atletico that. are facing a side who are trying to avoid relegation. Sort of city. QPR (laughs) Madrid Madrid Villarreal is not is definitely not the same as facing Sunderland um we'll see in like Villarreal like what are you gonna get because they are preparing for a European final and so do they yeah 
play like a joke squad, you know? Yeah, that's it's an interesting dynamic, like how intensely. And I mean, it's not a ton of time. It's literally they play Saturday and the Europa League final is the following Wednesday. Yeah, they had moved all the matches, actually, because we had all like bitched to the league. Yeah. I say bitched like it, they didn't like they didn't deserve to. They absolutely had a right <laughs> to complain about the scheduling, but yeah, it, it'll be absolutely fascinating. Well, on to Liga Un, another title race we're extremely invested in. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> it ended nil nil. Lille San Etienne. We said this was we said this was a little bit of a hurdle. This was going to be a little bit of a hurdle for for Lille to get over. It seemed like with the way they dealt with Lance, like they would kind of be in the right mood for this. But Lille, it has to be said, like never really got going in this match against San Etienne with a potential title on the line. Yeah, they could have actually won the title with with a result here, with a win uh, over San Etienne. But I mean, San Etienne rocked up to Lille looking like they didn't give a fuck about what was on the line for Lille because they were very hard to play against. Yeah. Very up for the game. And I mean, you even saw San Etienne fans saying like, where was this team all season long? <laughs> um, just very, very energetic. And um, yeah, shout out to uh, Etienne Green, the, uh, <laughs> the Franco-Englishman in goal for Saint-Étienne, uh, who had a pretty good game, to be fair. I mean, yeah. he kept a clean sheet on the road against the uh, hopefully champions-elect. So, yeah, but, I mean, on Lille's side, they couldn't really get anyone into any, like, super dangerous positions. They couldn't really get Borac Yilmaz into the game. Um, and, and yeah, some of the substitutions that Christophe Gaultier made, they – they weren't bad substitutions, just they, the players that came on really weren't effective. So right. just kind of a flat performance. They do edge Saint-Étienne in the, in the st- attacking statistics, but, I mean, uh, Saint-Étienne, they were just, you know, hard-headed to play against. I don't know how to explain it. They were just kind of, yeah. like, stubborn, uh, you know, all over the pitch. And, and, of course, the goalkeeper, like I said, played really well. So um, maybe Saint-Étienne have a little bit of confidence, having beaten teams like Marseille and, and Montpellier in recent weeks. So... Yeah. yeah, they came to Lille and 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 kept a clean sheet and have kept Lille fans waiting um, to see what happens next. Uh, yeah, so it's it's also a nail biter in France for sure. It's nervy. Um, so PSG in their in their match beat beat Reem comfortably four nil, and it was, I mean, set down that path by the early red card for Reem. Um, and a penalty to PSG. So Neymar calmly, calmly slots at home. And from there, PSG like took full advantage of, of having the extra man. Um, So by virtue of that win, it brings us to into the final day with Lille on 80 points, PSG on 79. Um, It is, like yeah, winner take right. all essentially like if PSG yeah. get a result and Lille don't then you know PSG are champions but if Lille win they are champions yeah and I think if results go their way and there's like a six goal swing Monaco could even be champions so like it's just <laughs> like 
that would be nuts too. I don't think it's gonna happen, but it is a possibility. That's true. It sure. is a six yeah. goal, a six goal swing. So there is yeah. there is an outside chance of Monaco being named champions. There is historical precedent for this tight of a title race. Um because obviously only one one point separates Lille and Paris headed into the final day. Um, and it's the smallest gap between a leader and their runner up at this stage of the competition since Oh one Oh two, when Lance was top of the league going into the final day by one point over Olympic Olympic Lyonnais and Lyon were champions. Wow. 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 Okay. I mean, yeah, just another nail biter. And this yeah. one is like even more like, I think it will hurt even more because they'll have, I think they've actually been more like convincing in the business end of the season in Lyon than Atleti have been in Liga, in La Liga, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel right. like they've really like showed out <laughs> right? Um, and played well, whereas Atleti have been getting results, but not necessarily like playing maybe their best football like they were playing i mean i guess it's hard to replicate what they did in the beginning of the season but yeah um hopefully hopefully Lille can can pull it out so Lille take on angers um on the final day a win over angers guarantees um that Lille are champions and uh as it stands angers decidedly mid table this season, um, which, which not bad for them, um, given that they have been kind of up and down, um, over the, over the course of, of the years, but, um, yeah, comfortably, comfortably mid table, but position right there in the middle of the table next to San Etienne. So, um, maybe they'll look to look to frustrate, but a win, a win will be enough, um, a draw and they will need help which PSG take on Bress um, and yeah. Yikes. Bress, an interesting player in the title race in that it was one of the two teams, San Etienne being the other one, that Lille did not manage to defeat this season. Um, they drew both games against San Etienne. They drew one, lost one against Bress. So Bress can play uh, either spoiler for Lille or, again by being beat by PSG or maybe they maybe they prove stubborn for the uh for the perennial champions wow okay so we're all we're all looking to start restaurant then to see what happens jesus yeah and then <laughs> the the team that somehow has ended up in the middle of all of this launch uh is facing monaco so a okay. six goal win and losses for PSG and and Lille would see Monaco crown champions. And just like hoe the entire north of France with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I say six goals, but it would technically be a loss for either of those teams. And then whatever margin they lose by, like if Lille lost by one, they would only need to win five nil to win the title. Right, right, right. <laughs> only. As right now, it's only yeah, five. Nil. Only five. No, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So <laughs> technically all still to play for. But Lille, we had an interesting listener question about Lille because Lille's Lille's fight does not end with the end of the season. Um, 
Lille going through massive uh, financial troubles, as we've seen. They stopped being funded by their owner at one point, had to be sold. Um, and so we had a question from at Zoom and Raf 11 asking, will Lille go into administration even if they win the league? Yeah, um, I don't think so, uh, just because they do have new ownership now. Um, I mean, as we know, back in December, Gerard Lopez was basically forced to sell the club because his two biggest creditors, one of them being J.P. Morgan, actually, uh, and then another, like, hedge fund, uh, basically called called the note on his debts and said, we don't think you can pay this 225 million euros that you owe us. And so he was forced to sell the club. Um the club is now owned by a fund called Merlin Partners, I believe, uh, this this fund out of Luxembourg. Uh, so I think that they've given them a bit of stability now. Um, Lille, I mean, obviously being in Ligue 1, they are affected just like anyone else by the collapse of the Media Pro deal. Um, but specifically, well, and, and of course COVID-19, yeah, I should say that as well. But, I mean, Lille's financial troubles are kind of like fourfold let's say because they there's those two issues with the the media deal and and covid but also they have this giant stadium this Stade Pierre which is really nice but it's like 50,000 seater and it's too big for this club to be fair uh Mm. so that's a big drain on finances and and then for every like euro that Lille makes they spend like a euro and 20 on on player wages yeah. Um, which that'll probably be alleviated in the summer with a bunch of sales. I think this club's going to get picked apart. Um, they might have to sell some of these stars or y- young stars, up, up and coming players for depressed prices given the pandemic. Um, but I think they'll at least be able to clear up some of the wages there. So there's just a lot of financial issues at Lille, but I, I don't know that they'll go into administration. I think this, this new owner has given them a little bit of stability and they'll just need to reassess everything in the summer. Yeah, and I think I do think sales will play a part, um, but I doubt they go into any sort of actual administration because it does seem like they have the debts um, at least controlled for the time. Yeah, being. Yeah, Merlin Partners bought all the debts, so yeah. I mean it's on them now. So yep, yeah, it's a and it's a yeah, it's a move that we've seen you know a number of times in the past. Um, Liverpool is a a good example, I think, of essentially just, yeah, taking control of the debts and paying them off. Uh, But anyways, they're uh, hopefully headed for stability as a club, although the um, the playing staff may look quite different by by the time by this time next season. Um, And we'll see we'll see how it plays out over the summer. But um well, we've got more to talk about, but I think maybe a quick break and then on to some some English results this weekend. Welcome back. Mika, we go to the Premier League. And the interesting thing about the Premier League now, we talked about City being crowned champions last time. So the interesting thing now is the race for top four, which week over week is developing into more of a race. And at 94 minutes and 20 seconds, it was looking like Liverpool were finally giving up the ghost for real this time in the race for top four (laughs) and step up. Allison Becker (laughs) scoring the winner 
uh, at the Hawthorns to, to save Liverpool's season, at least for now. Yeah. I mean, it certainly looked like they Liverpool were destined to drop points to an already relegated, relegated West Brom. Um, what a what a strike! Like what a header, man! Like it's not <laughs> fluky at all. I mean, we've seen like we saw Bono of Sevilla score a goal earlier this season, yeah. and that was a nice goal. But this like next level, like the technique on it was brilliant. Like yeah. just you know snap the head at the far corner like it was really really good um i i even for a brazilian keeper like allison i i would be lying to you if i said i knew he could do that um <laughs> it was incredible um and i can i can't think of a more deserving player honestly i mean with everything that he's been through with the death of his father and 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 not being able to go home to to pay his last respects like and how he talked about him afterwards yeah. just like destroyed me <laughs> like yeah um i think everyone can can appreciate that even probably the most cold-hearted man united fan but uh i won't speak for them but um yeah it was it was really something i think like the goal the goal itself um was stunning in a way that you almost had like as a liverpool fan i i had to take time to fully grasp what was happening um and as i was watching i just started laughing like I didn't know how else to react. I was just laughing and like I was obviously laughing and like not knowing what to do with your hands. Yeah, it, like <laughs> I was obviously like cheering and stuff, but I was just laughing. I was like because there is, you know, the goalkeeper coming forward is like the oldest. Like, hey, we're trying here, right? Like it it, it rarely results in anything. It, I mean, almost never to the point where Allison is the first goalkeeper in Liverpool's 129 years of existence to score a goal in a competitive game. Um, wow. Wow. And so, <laughs> so for him to go forward in that moment and for Trent to, to find him specifically in the box with a corner, it's hard enough to find the head of your own player with, you know, another 11 contesting that ball into the box. It's tough to score from, from corners. Um, and, uh, yeah, for him to, to get on, to be the one that got on the end of it and, and to direct it so well was just, it was unbelievable. And the reactions of the players, like you can just see how much like that meant to them, but also, uh, in the aftermath of the celebration, it was, it was the, the Brazilians essentially, but it was specifically, uh, you know, Allison, uh, Bobby and Tiago were like kneeling and like just hugging each other for like a long time. And so, and Firmino was captaining the side on the day, right? Yeah. He had the armband. Um, and he actually posted on Instagram as well, like afterwards, just like how much that meant to him and everything. But but the the thing that struck me the most after all of that and all the emotion and all the like intensity around a moment like that, the thing that struck me was like in the interview, Allison was very forthright and very like candid about how hard, not just for him, but like how hard the season has been on the players um, and how much they've been dealing with in terms of, you know, not being able to see their families, like not being able to to obviously travel like for the death of a loved one, not being able to, 
you know, even just, I don't know, like see or interact normally, um, with like your normal community. So, uh, so having him talk about it and like shine a light on it, I think it's been something that it's obviously been talked about this season. It's obviously been referenced, but no player has stood out in front of the cameras and said like, this has been really hard. Like I, he specifically said like without the support of the team and like the other people around the league. Cause he's, he said that uh, like Carlo Ancelotti and, um, and Everton like reached out to him when his father passed. Um, and he said wow. like, without that, I don't know if I could have like made it through this season. <laughs> and that's right. like the, that's the intensity of like what everybody is going through. And obviously it's not to say that footballers are going through it more than anyone else. Cause obviously Normal but they're people not going through it any less. Exactly. They like people. they are dealing with it the same as everybody else. And they are being asked to do an extremely high pressure job at an extremely high level without any consideration for the fact that they are, you know, struggling the same as, you know, the same as most, like maybe to a lesser right. extent due to their resources. But, um, right, right. But it was refreshing to hear a player acknowledge it and just say it like, th- because, Oftentimes it's, you know, the same kind of bandied cliches of, yeah, like, you know, we kept pushing and we just keep trying and we try our best and we try to win every game, like sort of thing. It's like, he was honest about the fact that it's a fucking hard year and like everybody's just been going through it. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of grief. I think it's fair to say in that, in that Liverpool dressing room. Um, I mean, just, I don't even know. Like, that's just such a huge moment for so many reasons. And I don't yeah. want to belabor that point. But, I mean, yeah, I couldn't think of a player more deserving of something like that than him. And like you said, it, it does have implications for the table. And uh, Liverpool are 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 well in it still. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm hardly paying attention to the Premier League these days because as an <laughs> Arsenal fan, it's just so bleak. But I do know Liverpool are still in the running with that. Yeah. So with with that win... Liverpool moved to within a point of fourth place Chelsea um, with two matches to go. Chelsea um, have a match against Leicester. Wow. And and they have this little cup final that they're playing at the end of the month as well. So And as it stands, either with a Leicester with a Leicester win and a Liverpool win, Liverpool would leapfrog Chelsea. But even if Chelsea were to win, Chelsea would move up to 67 points. And if Liverpool and Liverpool won and Leicester lost to Chelsea, uh, they would be level going into the final day um, on 66. And, you know, barring any goal difference, you know, changes because um, mm-hmm. they're currently they have the exact same goal difference, Leicester and Liverpool. Um, oh my God. So <laughs> it could get extremely tight. Um, going into the final day and I'm hoping, I think most Liverpool fans would prefer, um, a Leicester win over Chelsea and, uh, Liverpool just kind of moving into that, into that fourth spot. Yeah. That seems like the, the less stressful way, but both, both ways of getting into the big show sound terrible. Would, <laughs> would, what is the attitude, I guess, of Liverpool fans about potential like Europa League? I mean, I think 
I think Liverpool fans prefer not being in Europe to being in the Europa League, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, yeah. once you're yeah. in it, you're in it, and they want to do well. Um, but the prospect of playing on Thursday nights for a whole season is just, it's, it's brutal. Like that competition is just absolutely taxing on, on a squad and it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but Liverpool have Burnley, which not the type of opponent that you want, uh, in my opinion, like in a situation like this, because Burnley for them, I mean, it's a complete, I I'm pretty sure it's a dead rubber at this point. I'm pretty sure there's yeah, they're, I mean, they're well safe because everybody's been relegated at this point. So, um, right. yeah, for them, it's, it's just pride at that point and just playing spoiler, which Dice absolutely loves. Like that's yeah. his bread and butter. Um, and they'll know that they can do it because they did it at Anfield. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah this is not the sort yeah. of, not the sort like of fixture. to ask Burnley for favors. Let's put it that way. Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, Leicester, uh, Leicester and Chelsea, um, Leicester have a tough couple of, like last couple of games. So this Chelsea rematch of the FA cup final is really important because they have Tottenham on the, fi- on the final day. Right. And Tottenham are in like decent form, although no one's like talking about it, but yeah. Um, the other, the other aspect of this after Chelsea face uh, Leicester, they play Aston Villa. So another kind of like dead rubber game at this point um, for Villa. Um, but Chelsea obviously will be chasing, chasing the points in that one and Liverpool end the season against crystal palace. Wow. Okay. End of the season. That's crystal palace like the... is not a vibe for me. No, it's not. I hate, hate playing crystal palace at the end of the season i'm still like scarred from how we bottled it <laughs> with when i Emery. <laughs> so yeah um wow that's yeah. quite a run-in for 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 lester and liverpool sheesh but yeah still all to play for um spurs still technically have like an outside chance, but they basically need all three of the teams ahead of them to lose both of their last two games, which I don't think is possible. So, um, or at least two out of the three to lose both of their last two games. So, um, yeah, uphill, uphill struggle for them. West Ham Dave and David Moyes. Uh, unfortunately it looks like (laughs) at best they'll be, they'll be in the Europa league next season. Oh, well, as long as there's an away day of some sort, (laughs) I stand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, we spoke last week about, uh, the championship and the teams potentially coming up to the premier league from the championship. Um, so the, uh, the playoffs kicked off today. Um, they did. And a couple of one nils, um, and do we start? Well, let's start with the cherries. Bournemouth, a one nil win over Brentford. Um, and the the main man for them this season, Arnaud Danjuma, the uh, the goal scorer for, for Bournemouth, giving them the advantage headed to Brentford for the second leg. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Cherries get uh, 1-0 at, at the Vitality Stadium in front of fans, Yeah, uh, which was a, a welcome sight. 
Brentford were under siege early doors. Yeah. Um, I think we knew that this game was going to be very back and forth. These are two teams that really like to have the ball, like to attack, like to score goals. So I, I don't think that was too much of a shock. But the, I mean, David Raya was under siege. A couple mm-hmm. good saves, um, some from corners, and just, yeah, there was a lot of skill on display too. I mean, I don't know if I've seen that many back heels in one like championship <laughs> match, <laughs> one championship fixture. Um, uh, for Bournemouth, David, David Brooks really stood out to me. Um, really class performance from him. He sets mm-hmm. up Danjuma on that. Like, just if you look up incisive counterattack in the dictionary, it's what Bournemouth did to Brentford today. Yeah. I, I mean, just lovely, lovely stuff. Um, just straight up the pitch. Yep. And, and David Brooks has like several options to pass to, and he picks the right one, which is like a harder pass than it looks like finding Dejuma in with that angle and, and making sure he's on side when he makes the pass and, right. and they're able to score the only goal. Um, Brentford had chances though. And I think that Mbuemo will probably be having a nightmare tonight about the, yeah. uh, <laughs> about the uh, sitter that he misses at the uh, near post. Yeah. Um, and uh or at the far post actually i think it was and yeah uh, sliding it sliding in and somehow just misses it doesn't direct it yeah yeah so i mean i think brentford are still well in this and we'll see how they they fare at home back up in london so i mean it's still wide open for me yeah it'll be really interesting to see how i mean because we saw i think i think we saw in this one um you know, with fans back in the stands and for, for both of these semifinals, I think it just changes the dynamic um, ever so slightly. Um, right. I do think Brentford have a bit of the fact it's just one nil um, does give them a little bit of, uh, you know, gives them plenty to like sink their teeth into in the, in the return leg. Um, but they certainly would have loved to have left with an away goal and, and, yeah. Should have had one probably from from Embuemo. So um, yeah, just a little bit of a, a a hill to climb for Brentford, but they have the firepower to turn it around. It's just a matter of actually finishing, which they were pretty poor. Um, yeah, only putting the one shot on target, and I think yeah, it, they just have to be better uh, in the second leg, obviously. But the other semifinal, Barnsley and Swansea, uh, Swansea come away with a one nil win and it, it is an away goal. Um, so of the two semifinals, Swansea certainly in the strongest position of the two winners. Yeah. I, did I say I thought Swansea would go through? I mean, obviously it's still early, but yeah. like I just had a vibe about Swansea because you also name checked. I, specifically yeah, well, in the I episode. Mean, and that's, I mean, it doesn't take a genius, I suppose, to see what he's done this season and what he's done in the Premier League, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I use curler to the to the far post in the 39th minute. Just beautiful. Great goal. Um, yeah, great going. And Kyle Naughton does really well to find him there because uh, he's under pressure from two Barnsley defenders and he just slides that ball through and the angle's perfect. And I, I will say, though, I don't think the Barnsley defender did enough to like prevent Andre Ayew from... from like scoring that because you know what he's going to do. I mean, yeah. you know, he's going to get on that left foot and he doesn't get tight enough to him and, and it's in the back of the net. Um, obviously a very experienced player. Um, and, and yeah, like they get the away goal. So obviously they're the best placed after the first leg of the semifinal. And um, 
Barnsley, I don't know that Barnsley have the quality uh, all throughout their roster to to make it through. Um, Daryl DK did have a nice run, but that and he did cross it to the far post for someone, but that they weren't able to get to it. So, but that's not what you want Daryl DK doing. You want him on the end of things. So, um, right. You know, an okay showing from the American, but not necessarily what you would want him to be doing in a game like this. So, yeah, um, I do think Swansea definitely demonstrated that they're that they're probably a little bit better placed um, than than Barnsley. We had we had a question from from the shark on Twitter, and he just asked who looks best suited for Premier League action out of the four playoff teams after the first leg. I don't know that. I mean, it's a tough. It's a tough question to answer. I think I'm going to stick with my Swansea shout just because they seem the least uh, vulnerable sure. off the ball. I mean, Bournemouth are are exciting as hell, and I think that they can score a bunch of goals on anyone in the Premier League. But I think they can probably concede a lot too. I mean, there yeah. were times where they were super open against Brentford, and uh, and that was their problem when they were in the Premier League too. Is just shipping a lot of goals. We've never. I don't think there's ever been a concern about the Cherries scoring, but they still kind of look a little bit sus at the back <laughs> at times. I think Swansea are just very balanced. Yeah. Um, in that they have the goal scorers, but also um are are, you know, hard nosed defensively. So I think they look the best suited for, for top flight football. And they've got they've been in the top flight like very, yeah. very recently. So I guess that's not too much of a shock. But uh yeah, I guess I'll stick with my Swansea shot for now. It could all go sideways <laughs> next week, but we'll see. What about you, Phil? Yeah, I think I mean I think to answer the question specifically, I do think Swansea looked the best suited given this game. Um right. right. I think, you know, overall I still I still do back Brentford, despite the fact that it's partially driven by this weird pandemic infatuation that I developed for them. (laughs) Um, But no, I think I think Brentford um, just cry out to me because. In this game against Bournemouth, they created plenty and it just it, you know, for one reason or another, they were a little bit wasteful. Um, If they create that amount in the second leg at home, I feel confident that their, their main, their main men will, will convert those, those chances. Um, I think they also, to be fair and, and like credit, like absolutely full credit to Bournemouth um, and, uh, and how they clearly game planned um, for this Brentford side to the point where, I mean, we have to remember Bournemouth's manager is Jonathan Woodgate. Right. <laughs> and he out of the blocks, like he absolutely caught this Brentford team on its heels. Like, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, uh, full credit goes to, to Bournemouth and their staff and, and Jonathan Woodgate for, you know, setting up, to start the right way against uh against this Brentford side and the goal itself as you said was was really good but i think second leg i don't i don't think that that frank and uh and brentford get caught out quite the same way so yeah yeah 
after this match, though, I mean, Swansea definitely definitely seem a good shout, and they were very professional in dealing with Barnsley. Um, so the second legs uh, follow, and um, I guess the question then is, given these results as uh, next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, sorry, will be uh, yeah. both semifi- semifinals, um, who, who goes through? We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It's so hard to call two one nils. I wasn't expecting that. I think I was expecting a little bit more goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a little, definitely a little cagey. I think, I think Bournemouth Brentford on a on a good day for both teams probably ends two two, mm-hmm. or or somewhere yeah. in that in that range. Um, I mean, there were definitely chances. Yeah, and and both teams had chances. Um, so I I maybe well I think with. Brentford needing to score. Um, I think it sets the second leg up to be a little bit more, uh, more intense and a little more open. Um, but they also have to be careful because one away goal is going to change the complexion of that, of that tie pretty intensely. So um, on the other hand, uh, you know, with the other game, I think, I think Swansea are, are going to have to do quite a bit to, to throw it away from, from this position because, I think Barnsley for the excitement around DK and, and all of the, you know, all of the like American hype of it. uh, They're not (laughs) that consistently like good offensively. So I do think it might be a little bit of a struggle to overturn this one for them. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure to put on the young man. I mean, I don't think he's ever played in this high stakes (laughs) before. So, Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we'll certainly be watching, be watching that one with interest. Uh, I guess like just a slight roundup before we get to our last listener questions, nothing too intense, but just to close the, close the loop on a couple of, a uh, couple of things we talked about last week, the Zweite Bundesliga is no more settled than it was. Um, mm. in that <laughs> the second to last match day saw, how is Val beaten by Osnabrück? Um, Furt won against Paderborn. Bochum drew against Nuremberg. And uh, Holstein Kiel lost to Karlsruhe. So <laughs> that leaves wow. us with Bochum top by two points. Holstein Kiel second by one point over Furt. Uh, and so as it stands, Furt could win the title <laughs> on the final day. <laughs> Or be in the playoff. Um, there's no threat anymore of anyone else. And in fact, Howis Vow, by virtue of their defeat, now are out of the promotion places altogether and cannot catch Furt um, on the final day. So, so fourth year. Fourth year in a row that they will be. Wow. Yeah without Bundesliga football. So how is Val's uh, exile from the top flight continues, but yeah, it comes down to this three horse race of Bochum, Kiel and Furt and any of them could win the title and any of them could end up in the, in the playoff spot based on how the final day goes. Uh, So Kiel takes on Darmstadt uh, who, you know, very recently were in the Bundesliga, um, but have since been kind of a, middling Zweite Bundesliga side. Uh, 
And Buckham takes on Sandhausen, who are down near the bottom. Actually, Sandhausen kind of need to be careful because Osnabrück is right behind them in that relegation playoff spot. Um, just a single point. So the final day they could end up, um, well, in theory, they could up, end up relegated because Eintracht Braunschweig could catch them technically. So Sandhausen with, with uh, something to play for there. And then um, Furt takes on Fortuna Dusseldorf um, who are fourth. So, Furt with the toughest match in theory um, on the final day, but go into it with, I mean, seemingly the most to play for in that they, they, a win could take them, you know, out of the need for the playoff and, and into those autom- automatic places if Keel or Buckham slip up. Right. And this is for obviously they were recently in the Bundesliga. So, yeah. yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that update. That, I mean, the, Swachter Bundesliga is doing the most. Wow. That's like, I don't know what, I don't know what we have, like, or there is a league in German is, but Esta Liga or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to Google translate that one. (laughs) We'll report back. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the, when I saw that mess over the weekend of like, oh, like, Keel and Buckham both went into the into, into the final or into the second to last weekend with a chance to confirm automatic promotion and uh neither did. So now it it comes to the <laughs> final day. So um not much more you can ask for as we've seen with all of these leagues just just the most um to play for, but we move on now to our listener questions and we had a couple the first from at GoFoot21, Grant Sunberg on Twitter, he asks, where does Ethan Horvath go this summer? And uh, for those who will cast their mind back, Ethan Horvath, uh, U.S. men's national team goalkeeper, currently plying his trade at Club Brugge in, uh, in Belgium and not playing that much. So where does Ethan head? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a mystery. I think um, Ethan Horvath obviously had a lot of good experience at Club Brugge. Uh, I mean, he has Champions League experience, had some good group stage games with the club, but then the club bought in uh, a certain Simon Mignolet, and he has not really played much since, unless only when uh, I think Mignolet had COVID and he came in and played a little bit when like when he three was out. games or something like that. Yeah, yeah. so. I, in my opinion, I think Club Brugge have really done Ethan dirty here. I think they should have <laughs> sold him a while back, but now they're letting him go for free because his his contract expires this summer. So where does he go? I mean, again, like I said, that Champions League experience, I think that says a lot. Um, the fact that his contract is out means that his value is obviously much lower than it would be otherwise. So, I mean, I don't know. I think I think ideally the next step for him would be like the championship, although I don't know the English championship, EFL championship, although I don't know if he qualifies for a work permit. Right. That that would be the problem there. Right. Um you know, a uh, uh, second Bundesliga side could be a shout. Um I mean, we know that Fortuna Düsseldorf did wonders for Zach Steffen. I mean, maybe if they're looking for a number 1, he could go there, but that's the other thing. It just needs to be somewhere where he will definitely be the number one and play because he's 25 years old now. And if he wants to be competing for that, that uh, role in the U S men's national team uh, against Zach Steffen, then he needs to play. And uh, you know, 
luckily for a goalkeeper, he's still pretty young. Uh, 25 is nowhere near your prime as a keeper. Yeah. So uh, he's got time. But I, I don't know uh, where exactly, but hopefully it's somewhere at that kind of level, like championship or something like that. Yeah, it's always interesting when when a American player takes a chance in a league that's maybe like at that second tier or maybe even, you know, depending on where you rank the the Jupiler league. Um, It's it's always tough when they seemingly kind of don't succeed, even if it's not really their fault necessarily. Um, but it depends on how teams, I guess, perceive, uh, him and, and where they see him, um, in the pecking order. But yeah, um, there's not like a natural sort of analogous or like lateral move. Um, if he hasn't been playing consistently, I, you know, I always, I always worry about players kind of like getting frustrated by that and then just returning to MLS, like knowing that they'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he like continues the challenge or if he like just goes where he knows, like he'll, he'll get consistent. You know, he'll be the number one, like at an MLS side. Um, I don't know. That's it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma, but I think, I think ideally he he sticks it out a little bit and like you said tries to find a landing spot in a maybe a second division where he can really show his stuff and we've seen even from DK like the the light that that sort of club can shine on someone um because you know it's more attention than than he's probably ever gotten um and so it'd be nice to see to see Ethan stick it out and and try to make it for for one of these clubs maybe chasing promotion yeah and i mean you bring up mls and i think that's an interesting angle to this and and something that could certainly come to pass i think that while i agree it's kind of like a well it is it's not kind of it is a regressive move honestly in terms of quality of the european leagues compared to to mls there is precedent of great American goalkeepers going back home and then coming back to Europe. I mean, I think of Brad Friedel. Yeah. Right. He went to Columbus crew um, after, was it Galatasaray? Fenerbahce? So where he was before that. Oh man. Um, it was in the nineties. I mean, way before my time of like consciously following football, but uh, he went to Columbus crew and then came back to Europe with, with Liverpool. So, I mean, yeah. and, and then I think he stayed in the premier league after that. So mm-hmm. it's not unheard of, uh, for for a keeper to to go home and play and then be picked back up again in Europe. So um Yeah, it was Galatasaray. It was? Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a thing. <laughs> Interesting. But, I mean, yeah. I for for the sake of the national team, I just hope that he finds a, a place to play as the number one because Honestly, like Zach Steffen's great, and I think his distribution is really good. But Ethan Horvath might actually be the better shot stopper, like arguably. But we'll see. We also had a question from from Jake Konecki, um, and this is bright Brighton focused. Um, with both Adam Lalana and Danny Welbeck serving as sort of older players to to learn from on Brighton, do you think the club will try to hold on to both of them? I've really enjoyed their play this season. Would love for them to stick around. Um, two of the higher profile pieces on this Brighton and Hove Albion side 
Um, do you think they they re up um, with with both of them? Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, higher profile. Both of these players have won everything pretty much uh, with former clubs. Um, with Lalana, I think, yeah, he probably does stay because I think his contract still goes for another year or two. I think he signed a multi-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, why not? He's he's a decent player to have in the midfield. Um, Danny Welbeck is the one that I, I'm a little skeptical of only because we know how goal starved this Brighton team has been relative to the chances they create. And I think if, if, if I were Brighton's sporting director, and of course there's, you know, COVID and all that stuff to take into consideration and the financial fallout of that, but I'd be wanting to blow up that attacking core. (laughs) I mean, not that Danny's done poorly or anything. I think six goals to assist something like that. I mean, that's not terrible, but uh, it's not great either. Um, right. So, and, and Neil, Pol- Neil Mopai's had a shocker. I mean, uh, Connolly is, is young. Can't really depend too, too much on him yet. McAllister, I don't know that he's actually really a striker. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that attacking core just needs some surgery, I think. And so, and, and plus Danny, we know that he's got injuries. Uh, we know that he's not one you can re- rely on necessarily. Um had a lot of injuries when he was with Arsenal, at least. I know he's had a few at, at Brighton and Hove Albion, too. So, yeah, I think Lilana, it's probably more likely that he stays well back. I'm not so sure. Uh, but, I mean, they're both solid players, solid bros. And uh, I don't blame I don't blame you, Jake, for wanting them to stick around because they're just good guys to have in the squad. Yeah, it seems it seems like one of those where there's just the average age of their squad is is pretty low. And a lot of their newer signings have, have been, you know, really young guys like 22 mm-hmm. and younger. Um, so bringing in the likes of Lalana and Welbeck, I think was obviously, you know, to, to settle the dressing room and make sure it wasn't, you know, just this group of children, um, running around. But, um, and I think having that, continuity season over season could be really helpful, especially if they do go out and try to bring in some new pieces. Um, the likes of Alana could help them bet in a little bit quicker maybe. And, and we'll see what we'll see what Brighton actually go out and do in terms of business. It, I mean, based on the, based on the history, it seems like Graham Potter is probably going to try to go shopping in South America. Um, but, (laughs) and given the work permit rules, uh, like changing with Brexit and everything, uh, that might be the, the easier path, um, to finding cheaper talents, uh, outside of, of the UK. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, like you said, this this attacking core definitely needs a shakeup. Um, I don't know if Danny Welbeck is going to be a part of it or not, um, but the only question mark with either of these players are going to be whether their wages would prohibit any sort of business, and if it if they feel like they're holding the squad back at some point because of the wage, then that's where they may, you know, choose to to opt elsewhere just because if if someone's making really big money that would keep you from bringing in someone else then yeah right that that right. would be where i think the they part ways but clearly lolana on a you know multi-year deal uh so less of a threat there right yeah 
bright, this Brighton team, I don't know how in the hell they ended, they're going to end the season 17th. Um, but that's, that's just like where we're at right now, because I'm thinking back and I'm like, <laughs> this is a good team. Like, how are they, how are they down yeah. here? Um, yeah. It's nuts. I've never seen a manager who's finished 17th lauded as much as Graham Potter has been lauded this season, but like deservedly. So, so it's not, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm not making fun. I just, you know, I no, guess it is strange, pointing out definitely. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. Especially when you think of like Chris Hutton before him, like that kind of, <laughs> he yeah. got sacked for like less. Yeah, true. he got sacked by Newcastle when they were like 11th or something. Like if I remember correctly, <laughs> so yeah, it is. It's bizarre. I think in that context. Wow. Yeah. The uh, so I think that brings us just about to the end. But we have one small matter, Mika, of our sounds of the season playlist. Uh, adding a couple of songs each week. Um, you can find this playlist on Spotify. Um, and hopefully you guys, uh, find it, follow it. Um, if you just search sounds of the season, um, I think it pops up when you type hardcore football as well. It'll be like the second result. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye on, eye on Spotify for that. We add two songs per person per week. So it grows exponentially. Um, and, uh, yeah. So Mika, what have you got for us this week on the playlist? All right, so I've gone with a song that probably would have been more appropriate last week when Atleti faced Barca, but I've gone with uh, Never Take Friendship Personal by Anne Berlin. Uh, I mean, like, it just reminds me of Luis Suarez and Leo Messi, who are like, they both score yesterday, but obviously it's Luis who's getting, hopefully, the last laugh, having scored 20 La Liga goals against, uh, you know, in, in the league and and yeah, is making his Barca, his former Barca friends look really silly. Um, not that not that the players obviously had anything to do with his transfer, but it just looks more and more like ridiculous by the day that they got rid of him to a direct rival. So, yeah, I just thought that that would fit uh, that narrative. The other song I've gone with is uh, Everything Is Alright by Motion City Soundtrack. I mean... I mean, this song is about anxiety and neuroses and trying to convince yourself that things are all right when when you feel like absolutely sick inside. And I think that's kind of what these Lille and Atleti fans are feeling right now, trying to win the title um, against against the odds, against superpowers in their respective leagues. So um, and and Motion City Soundtrack, to be fair, one of the best bands I've ever seen live. I've seen them live a handful of times and they are incredible every time. Um yeah, the one of those uh like I don't even know what you would call them. They're not like pop punk, but they're like I don't know. Definitely in that like definitely like a warped or mainstay, but oh, yeah. synths and moog and all that, like they you know, from the Midwest, they're they're a good band. So yeah, I thought I'd throw them on there. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good shout. And definitely adding like a, a different angle like to the playlist as well, because we've definitely stayed in like a certain vein. Um, yeah, so it's good to it's see been pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely like trying to mix it up, uh, <laughs> and make it even more of just like a crazy journey. Uh, when you're, when you've yes. got it on shuffle, um, you could, you could stand to hear basically anything, uh, at any point. But, um, for me this week, I went with, uh, 
I went like two very different ways. So the first song I chose was uh, Abrasumente uh, by Northlane. Um, Northlane's an Australian like metalcore or I don't even, yeah, like gent, whatever uh, band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, uh, and this, this song in particular, just like, so Abrasumente, like, yo, know, like open your mind um, type thing. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, one, the song is a banger. Like if you like any sort of heavy music or anything, but it's, it's made more impactful because of the quiet parts. And I think I did this like maybe a couple of times ago, but like, you know, the juxtaposition of kind of the down and up and just like the dynamics of the song are, are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one of the lines that's like screened in the middle of the song is like who will answer the call when it comes from within and that was like the Luis Suarez goal for Atleti like <laughs> stepping up like yes. he answered the call you know like at, at the time where they needed it most um but yeah so that was that was number 1 um and then uh the other the other song I went like full on pop punk uh like scene heyday 2013 um a band called state champs with uh with their song elevated and uh elevated i it's kind of like a a pun because of dinamo dresden's promotion so like elevated literally um love it but yeah just the basically there was there was a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff like there but one of the things that he keeps he says like kind of over and over again is just like um a hope for a miracle and mm-hmm. so heading into this final day there are a bunch of fan bases out there who are either hoping for a miracle at the top of the table or a miracle at the bottom uh to and so yeah <laughs> that's uh and hoping to stay hoping to stay elevated in one way or another, whether it's lifting a yes. trophy or uh or staying in the in the league. So yeah, business end of the season and and so those are my those are my choices. And I definitely chose like a very specific era of like of Phil <laughs> between like twenty eleven and twenty thirteen. Yes. This is like I have a story about state champs. Oh yeah, let's hear it. So I uh, I I've seen them live. Like I I love state champs. They're a good band. Yeah, um, definitely part of that like second wave of like pop punk in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, the teeds, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I met the lead singer Derek before he got on stage to play, and he was eating Cheetos, <laughs> and I just said like, "Hey, what's up? Like, I love your band, whatever." And he was like, you know, when you eat Cheetos, you have like Cheeto fingers. So he like wanted to shake my hand, but he's like, ah, oh, how do I do this? Like, and I, I wasn't expecting him to like shake my hand. It was fine. <laughs> so he gave me the most awkward, like left-handed shake because his right hand was covered in Cheeto dust. So that's just my, my, what I think of when I think of state champs is their lead singer being like super friendly, but I should have probably just let him finish his Cheetos first. that's so funny and those are the type of like weird interactions that you have at at shows shows. yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's so funny i feel like i feel like everyone has that like awkward like meeting someone 
yeah, story. Yeah, he was so nice, but it was just like he was intent on shaking my hand. Like, yeah, you know when people used to do that. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that he's definitely more friendly than the lead singer of Protest the Hero, who me and my sister met. He was sitting in a merch bin at Warp Tour, like uh-huh. in the in like a plastic bin, like arms and legs, like over the sides, like he was in the tub or something. <laughs> oh, like those big, like plastic. Like, yeah. Like he was in like, like a, carry- Oh my God. Yeah, like what the hell? they had their shirts in <laughs> and he was just like sitting in it and, uh, talking about how just fucking miserable he was. And I was like, Oh cool. Like, all right. We really like your band though. So hopefully that helps. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, yeah, so anyways, but Cheeto Dust and, and that's, that's, uh, that's hysterical. And yeah, State Champs, the, (laughs) that second wave of pop punk. It totally is too, because it's like State Champs in the story so far and And like the Man Overboard and Wonder Years. Yeah. Yeah. That was the shit though. Heyday. That was in college during that time. It was awesome. Yep. Yeah. Put on the vinyl (laughs) version of the upsides and just, fucking yes. and just just fucking stare at your ceiling um yeah and, and talk about how you hate this town yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so uh well i guess yeah i guess that about does it mika we've uh we've covered a lot um luckily yeah, we're a long one we're what we're just a little we're just a little bit away from the end of the season um and the start of the euros question mark like yeah and like just uh, the most (laughs) euro 2020 i guess they're sticking with that branding yeah i don't know so yeah it never stops uh even when it stops like even when it's over it doesn't stop so (laughs) the podcast will the podcast will continue um and hopefully you guys have enjoyed as i said at the top of the episode uh follow us on twitter at hxc football follow subscribe like on on your favorite podcast platform of choice and uh we will see you next week to discuss the end of multiple European leagues and, and a couple of, uh, a couple of trophies decided couple of promotions decided. So lots, so uh, lots to talk about. So hopefully you'll tune back in for that one and we will see you then.